You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. Well, we continue this morning in our journey of new beginnings. We are on a journey searching God's will for a new pastor. And uh, I believe God looks down upon us and, and he says to us, how much do you want my leadership in this journey that you're on? How much do you want my blessing and do you want my perfect pastor for your church? I believe it's not something that God just randomly selects and says, here's the guy that's coming to you. But I believe God looks at us, and when he sees a people prepared for that that he has, for someone who's preaching the gospel, that he will send us that person that's right for us. And so we're searching for our seventh senior pastor in the 68-year history of the Lima Baptist Temple. Later on, after the message this morning, uh, we'll have a report from our pulpit committee on what's taken place so far. And you'll be given this morning a prayer guide whereby you can pray for our committee and for our church and for each of us as we are involved in this journey. Thus far, we have seen what God desires for the people of the Lima Baptist Temple. Where would he find us to be? Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that God would have us as a people with a heart that is right with God. Each one of these messages has to do with a different festival or feast of the nation of Israel that's going on at the same time that we're preaching this particular series. And two weeks ago, we looked at two of those holidays that the Jewish nation celebrates. One of them was Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. And we saw in connection with the Jewish New Year that there were ten days of awe. Ten days of repentance that the Jewish people were to go through determining what their relationship with God was. And we saw that's what God expects of us. He wants us to examine our lives to see that we are right with God. And then we looked at another holiday, and that was Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, the most sacred holiday in the nation of Israel. We saw how the sacrifice was offered for the people's sin. The sacrifice that had to be offered every year for them to continue worshiping God. We saw how Jesus Christ fulfilled that in giving himself for our sin and crying out on the cross of Calvary, it is finished. And therefore that sacrifice no longer needed to be offered. And now, The Bible says, for us who know him, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So our sins can be forgiven. 
we can be right with God. And the Bible also says on that Day of Atonement that there was a goat left out into an uninhabited land, into the wilderness. And it symbolizes for ourselves that God has forgiven us. We need to forgive ourselves and not let the devil defeat us into negative thinking and instead realize our sin has been forgiven. We don't have to dwell upon what we've done any longer. And we can say along with the Apostle Paul, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And uh, then, the next week, last week, we talked about the fact that we not only need to be a congregation with a heart that is right with God, but we need to be a, a church uh, that has our eyes focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we looked at that Jewish festival known as Sukkot, and that's the Feast of Tabernacles, where the Israelites are reminded that 40 years they wandered in the wilderness and God tabernacled among them during those 40 years. God was with them. He led them through those years. And uh, we are reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ came and tabernacled among us. The Word, Jesus Christ, was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. We saw that Jesus, on that last day, of that Jewish festival known as Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, proclaimed to the people that he was the Messiah. He wasn't only the true God, but he was the Messiah. As the Israelites would go to the pool of Siloam and draw out water to be used in the sacrifices, so Jesus Christ proclaimed himself to breathe the living water, the one who could come to him and never thirst again. And then later he proclaims himself to be the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament, the pillar of fire that led the Israelites when he said, I am the light of the world. And just as the temple was illuminated during Sukkot, so Jesus Christ said, I am the fulfillment of that. I am the triumphant Savior. And that's what Jesus is looking for. That's what God is looking for in our church. We need to be a people whose heart is right with God. We need to be a church with our eyes focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And then today, as we conclude this series, we need to see that God desires us to be children of God whose feet follow in the footprints of Scripture. The Bible tells us that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and it is a light unto my path. The next verse says what we ought to determine today as we leave this place. I have sworn, says the psalmist, and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. As God's Word leads us, we need to determine that we're going to follow exactly what God says in His Word. Well, today we have another one of the Jewish feasts 
that we're going to talk about. And it is named Simhas Torah. And that means rejoicing in the Torah. And it begins tomorrow evening. We'll have that in the notes in a minute. It begins tomorrow evening and goes for one day till sundown on Tuesday. But we need to ask ourselves the question, what in the world is the Torah? The Torah is the law of God. uh, 613 commandments. The top 10, of course, are what we call the Ten Commandments. But there are 613 commandments given in the law given to the nation of Israel in the first five books of the Old Testament. And those five books are called the Pentateuch, Penta, P-E-N-T-A, meaning five. The first five books of the Old Testament are called the Pentateuch. And in those first five books, God reveals his law to the people. 613 commandments and all the rules, regulations, and requirements that go along with them. Now, as I've already said, this holiday begins tomorrow at sundown, and it goes until Tuesday at sundown. And what it observes is the conclusion and the restart of the uh, annual Torah reading cycle. If you go into a Jewish synagogue, you will see up in the front there are scrolls. And on those scrolls is recorded the Word of God. And every Sabbath day, one of those scrolls is selected and it is read to the people, the congregation of that synagogue, until every scroll is read, and on Simhas Torah, it is the conclusion of the reading of all those scrolls and the beginning, or the restart, of that cycle all over again. One of the ceremonies that's held during this holiday is what is called Aliyah, And that's when the men of the synagogue are called up and each of them reads a portion of that scroll that particular day. You remember in Luke chapter 4, the Bible says Jesus went to the synagogue, as was his custom, and they gave him one of the scrolls to read. And so that's exactly what happens each Sabbath day. The men of the congregation come and they read these scrolls. Now, on Simhas Torah, what happens is uh, the scrolls are taken out of their reservoir or out of their holder and the people of the synagogue will dance around the synagogue. They will sing songs as they circle the synagogue seven times. Seven, of course, in the Bible is the number of completion, the number of perfection, and it's a testimony to the fact that they have read through those scrolls, they've concluded it, and on that day they will read Deuteronomy chapter 34, the last of the Torah, and uh, they will also read Genesis chapter 1 as they begin again. 
they will parade around the synagogue seven times. Sometimes that celebration will even go out into the streets, and the celebration will last several hours. Well, why are they doing that? The Jewish nation celebrates the joy of being the people who originally possessed the Word of God. Notice Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The question is asked, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there in circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God, the word of God. They were the original people to receive God's revelation from heaven. Now, that leaves most of us out. Because during that whole Old Testament period, God dealt with Israel as a nation particularly. God did not deal with the Gentiles. In fact, in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, this is what we read concerning you and me as a Gentile. Now, who's a Gentile? That's anybody that's not Jewish. So if you're not Jewish, this spoke of you before the time Jesus came. The Bible says that at that time, you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in this world. Back in verse 1, it says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, I want to tell you, that's about as gloomy an outlook as you can come up with. We were without hope. We were without help. But something happened. Jesus Christ came into the world. And when he came into the world, he went to a cross and he shed his blood. And he gave his life for you and for me. And now, not only are we redeemed but now we are in possession of the Word of God. We have the Word of God to meditate upon its principles and to live out its promises in our daily life. The Bible says we have been brought nigh or near to God because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, my question to you is, how can you and I rejoice in the Word of God like the Jews do on this holiday? And how can we be happy in the Scripture day by day as we live and give thanks to God for who He is, for what He has done for you and me? Now, if you look in your bulletin, you've got an outline. And there are eight points to this outline. You say, you're kidding me. Eight points? How long is that going to last? Barry over here, most of you know Barry. Barry came up to me a little while ago, and he had his bulletin, and he opened it up, and he pointed at the eight points. He said, how long? <laughs> he only said what most of you are thinking. I guarantee you it won't be very long. I appreciate Robin not 
going any longer in the song service. That's great. Gives me more time. How can we today rejoice in the Word of God? How can we follow in the footsteps of the Scripture? Here's how we do that. Here's how we fall in love with the Word of God. Here's why we read it every day. Number one, the Word of God has been provided. Isn't it something? The grace of God, the love of God to you and me, He gave us His Word. Do you realize that we could never know anything about God unless God revealed His Word to you and me? That's the only way we know about God. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, there's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Moses is directing the people of Israel. And he says to them, For this commandment which I command thee this day, it's not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it down to us? that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? But he says, The word is nigh unto thee, in thy mouth, in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. Isn't that something? God says, Listen, the word of God, what I want you to know, what I want you to be, How I want you to follow me is not a mystery. I have revealed everything I want you to know in the Scripture. You don't have to search for it. All you have to do is open the book and read it. It's there. And if you don't understand it, what you do is you pray to the Holy Spirit, who is the author of the Word of God, and you ask Him for direction. And you see what the Word of God has to say, how it affects your life, and you look up to God and say, what a gracious God you are in the fact that you provided for me what I would never know about you, and you put it right into my hands. That's how we rejoice in the Word of God we realize that God provided it just for each one of us. But notice, second of all, we rejoice in the fact that God's Word is perfect. Psalm 19 and verse 7 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. What a verse. The Word of God converts the soul. What does that mean? The Word of God has a definite part in your salvation and in mine. I personally don't believe that a person can be saved without the Word of God. The testimony of the Scripture that tells us about Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. The Word of God's perfect. In other words, it takes everything that we have as a problem and it turns it around for the glory of God. It converts 
the soul. And the testimonies of the Lord make wise the simple. Listen, friend, you can't get a better deal than that. The Bible says when we go to the Word of God, we can find everlasting life within its pages. And then we find the direction that God would have us to go. See, we're the simple. We don't understand that. But the Bible says the Word of God makes us wise. How can we rejoice in the Word of God? How can we have just as much joy as the Jewish nation when they take the, the scrolls and walk around the tabernacle or around the synagogue and, and uh, dance and sing and rejoice in the Lord? How can we be like that? Because we realize God has provided His Word for you and me. Because God has given us His Word that brings us salvation and then gives us direction in what to do. Notice third of all, God's Word is powerful. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 11, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, maketh it bring forth and bud, that I may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. What a statement. Nobody else can make a statement like that. Nobody else can say, hey, whatever I say, it gets done. No, God says, my word is not like your thoughts. It's higher. When things happen in our life that we can't understand, trust God. God knows better than we do. When bad things happen in your life and mine, it can cause something to happen. It always causes something to happen. Either we will become bitter against God, or we will become better for God. And so God says in His Word, when hard times come, realize that my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways than your ways. You may not be able to understand it, but I do all things well. And He says, my Word works. It shall accomplish that for which I have intended it. It will never return unto me void, but it will always prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. And I'll tell you, I rejoice in having a possession like that, that I can carry in my hand, and I know that this Bible that I carry is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, and it is the instruction in righteousness that you and I can depend upon to give us learning in our life. Wow. Isn't it something? You know, one of the things that boggles my mind is this, and I've shared this with you before. But here's a book. When I, when I went to college, I had to buy books. When you went to college, 
you had to buy books. I mean, today it is a huge expense just to buy the books you need for each class. And some classes have three or four of them, and some books are just huge. They're thick. And, and here we have what we need to learn in college revealed to us through almost a mini-library. But God says this to you and me. Here's my book. Right here. This is it. This is all there is to it. And I know people would say, you mean what's in this book is everything God wants us to know? Yeah. It's not everything God knows, but it's everything God wants us to know. And in this book, we find success in life. And all God says is, take this book, read it, apply it, and whatever you do, it will prosper. What a statement. We can spend all the time and all the books that we have on our shelves, but the Bible says, if you will just take your lifetime to concentrate on this book, to absorb its principles, to apply its meaning in every part of your life, you have guaranteed success. That's amazing. The Word of God is powerful. It works. But not only that, we rejoice in the fact that God's Word was premeditated. Psalm 119, verse 89. Look at that. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Do you know what that means? That means that the word of God is just as eternal as God himself. God is God because he never had a beginning. And he will never have an ending. He is eternal. You and I were everlasting. We had a beginning, but we'll never have an ending. God is different from you and me because He is eternal. And the Bible says His Word is eternal. It is forever settled in heaven. That's something. That means that God wrote down through the writers of the Scripture... Holy Spirit is the author, and the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the Scripture to record His Word so that in the original writings of Scripture, there was not one mistake. There was nothing left out that should be in there, and there was nothing wrong in what was said. That's called the inspiration of the Word of God. God had it written down. Now, I always advise people, when they have a problem with someone else, and they come and say, what should I do? I always suggest that they write that person a note or a letter. I never suggest that they go and talk to that person about it. Because you know what happens when we talk we sometimes get emotionally involved. And sometimes when you talk, you say things you wish you had not said. But when you write something down, <laughs> you give to that person what you really think and what you really mean. 
because you can write something down and then you can look at it and say, oh, ah, that doesn't sound right. You can tear it up, throw it away, and start again. And that's what God did. He wrote down so we know it is without error, it is without omission, it's everything God wanted us to know. It is eternal. And the Word of God is, get this now, it is unified. In other words, it all agrees. Can you imagine that? This book was written over 1,500 years. It has 40 different writers. And yet, it agrees from cover to cover. No mistakes. People have offered huge sums of money before if someone can come up with an error in the Bible, but they can't. That is humanly impossible for something to happen over 1,500 years, and then you take these people from all different backgrounds. You've got highly intelligent people like the Apostle Paul. You got people like Peter and John, who the Bible calls ignorant men. That means they had no formal education. You take people who were farmers. You take people who were in the courts of kings. And they write over this 1,500-year period, and yet everything that's recorded in the Word of God agrees. You can't go down your aisle and whisper a fact to the person next to you, and if that aisle is full, by the time it gets to the eighth or tenth person, and they say what the first person said, they'll have it confused. They won't have it just exactly as the first person said it. But the Bible agrees from cover to cover. And when it speaks of a doctrine that's close to us, and important to us, you can find it pictured in the Old Testament and then come over to the New Testament and find it fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pictures, symbols, types in the Old Testament tell us that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament, when we read the fulfillment of those prophecies, tell us that the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It agrees from cover to cover. It was premeditated. It has always been settled in heaven. As eternal as God himself is, so is the Word of God. But notice, next of all, the Word of God can be pondered. In other words, you can think about it every time you read it. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, For the Word of God is quick, that means it's alive, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow. In other words, the Word of God penetrates into the life of a person. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You read the Bible and you wonder, how can God know about my life? How does he, is he able to identify who I am? 
Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The word of God is quick. That means it's alive. It's not like any other book. You take another book, a novel, or whatever it might be, and you may reread it several times, but you know what's going to be said. I've read that before. I tell one of my very, very funny jokes that you don't laugh at too much. And if I tell it again, you know what happens? Everybody looks and says, hey, I heard that before. But when you read the Bible, it is fresh every time you read it. It's quick. It's alive. I've read Genesis chapter 22 hundreds of times. It's my favorite Old Testament passage. Abraham takes Isaac up on the mountain. He's about to sacrifice him to God. And God says, go get the ram out of the thicket. It's a substitute for your son. And the ram is killed. And the picture is that Jesus Christ is our substitute. And he died in our place. But every time I read it, I see something new. I see something fresh. That's because the Holy Spirit, who authored the book, is the one who indwells me and teaches me the book. And every time I read the passages that I read, there's something new, something fresh, something that perhaps I had never seen before. I rejoice, even as the Israelites who parade around the synagogue and the fact that they are the recipients of the Word of God, I rejoice today that Jesus Christ has made me near unto God, has given me the Word of God, and today He teaches me the Word of God, which can be pondered every time we read it. But notice, the Word of God is profitable. The Bible tells us what in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scriptures given by inspiration of God, it's profitable. Listen, for everything, it is sufficient. That's what he's saying. The Word of God is sufficient to take care of your every need. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, isn't it interesting that of the four things that are said, two of them have to do with wrongdoing on our part. Word of God is given for reproof. In other words, to show us our wrong and then for correction to tell us how to get it right. And for instruction in righteousness that the man, the woman, the young person of God may be perfect, complete, mature, truly furnished unto all good works. What does that mean? It means the Word of God is sufficient. Whatever your need, whatever your problem. The Word of God may not have the exact answer in words for word that are spoken, but the Word of God has the principle that can supply our every need. I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse 92. He said this, Unless the law had been my delights, I should have perished in my affliction. You got a tough time? You know, when you think God may have forgotten you, maybe God doesn't even know your name, 
No, the psalmist said, if I hadn't delighted in the scriptures, I surely would have perished in my affliction. You have problems, where do you go? You go to the scripture. It is sufficient. Two more, and we are finished. God's word is pardoning. Notice Psalm 119 again. And here we read this in verses 9 through 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandment. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. You want to live a godly life? You know what you do? You memorize the scripture. I want to tell you it's a lost art in Christianity today. People just don't do that. Why, we've got it everywhere. We not only have it in book form, we've got it on the cell phone. We've got it on our internet. We've got it everywhere. The Word of God is available, so why in the world should I memorize it? Listen, because the day may come when we no longer have access to the Word of God. And the only way we're going to be able to know it and to share it and to use it is to use the Word of God that we've placed into our lives. The Bible says, how are you going to cleanse your way? By taking heed thereto according to thy Word. Thy Word have I hid in my heart. We memorize it, and then when the need comes, the Holy Spirit, in just a supernatural way, brings that verse back to my mind. And I say, yes, Lord, now I know what the scripture says about it and what you would have me to do. I rejoice in the word of God because the word of God is pardoning. It helps me when I sin, when I do that which is disobedient to God and the Bible tells me, here's how you should be corrected. Here's the reproof that you need. And here's the way to restore that fellowship with God once again. And then finally, God's word is persuasive. Proverbs chapter 4 says this, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are un, uh, life unto those that find them, and health to thy flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, perverse lips, put far, far from you. Let thine eyes look on, and let thine eyelids, eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or to the left, and remove thy foot from evil. What does the Word of God do? It keeps us on the right path. When I absorb the Word of God and I believe what I believe, not because the preacher said it or the teacher said it, not because I heard it from someone on television, not because I heard it in a Bible study, but because I've read it for myself and I've applied its truth to my life, I know what God wants me to believe and how he wants me to live. I may not always do it, 
but I have that instruction in my life. Don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right, walk straight, keep your eyes fixed, focused upon Jesus Christ, who will always direct you in the right way. That's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be the children of God who have our feet following in the footsteps of the Scripture, rejoicing in the fact that God has provided His Word for us and we can live according to His principles by His grace and by His mercy. Now I want to say this to you. You can be a Christian and not read the Word of God. You can be a Christian and not rejoice in the Word of God. But I want to say to you, if you do, Jesus Christ will never be Lord of your life. And your Christian life will be tainted by sin, by sadness, and by a lack of spiritual success. The Word of God is the source of strength, the guiding light, and the principle of success for the believer today. I close with this verse. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He's got his eyes straight ahead and focused upon the Lord himself. Listen. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Whatsoever he doeth, it's going to prosper. Did you hear that? You read the word of God and you'll be like a tree. Notice where it's planted. Not out in a field someplace where the drought comes and the rain fails to fall. And when the drought comes, the tree withers. But you'll be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. A continual source of strength and supply. And you'll bring forth your fruit in your season. When God desires to use you, you will be used. But even in difficult times, even when the problems come, and you're tempted to maybe go back on the Lord. Even when you think, He may have forgotten me, the Bible says no, the continual source of supply will cause your leaf to not wither. Fruit tree brings forth its fruit in a particular season. But you will be like a tree that not only produces fruit, but your leaf also shall not wither. You'll be supplied by God through thick and thin, through problem and prosperity. Whatever takes place in your life, when you are in the Word of God, your feet are following the footprints of the Scripture. And you've taken the Word of God into your heart and into your life, 
and you're living its principles every day. Notice what the Bible says at the end of that verse. And whatsoever he doeth, it shall prosper. Wow. I believe today God looks down upon our congregation. And he looks upon a people that he desires to have a heart that's right with God. To have eyes that are focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. To have feet that are following in the footprints of the scripture. From head to toe, God desires to look at the members of this church and see that we are doing not only what God has commanded, but we are rejoicing in the word of God that he has given to us. May God find in our congregation a people whom he may bless and he may provide just the right pastor to lead us in the days yet to come. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray for your blessing upon it. I pray, Lord, that you might instruct us and teach us how precious a book we have in the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that we might be a people that are right with you. I pray that we might be a congregation that is focused upon Jesus Christ and what He wants for us. And I pray that we might be the children of God who are following in the footprint of the Scripture. We rejoice in your word today, not only that you've given it, but that you've revealed in it not only our salvation, but the pathway of success in everything we do. I trust that in your heart and in your life today, if you're a visitor with us, you're welcome. And I hope and pray that God is where he ought to be in your life, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I've prayed before this message that today you would come to know Jesus Christ, whom the Bible says to know is to know eternal life. And so today, if you're here and you're not a Christian, would you pray that simple prayer and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for my sin. And today I receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I pray that you'll do that. And if you do, please let us know before you leave today that you've made that decision. But if you're here and you're a member of the Lima Baptist Temple, I pray today that you would examine your life because I believe with all my heart your response to the Word of God will determine the kind of pastor that we're going to get in the days ahead. I want God to look down upon our congregation and say, right there, there in Lima, Ohio, is a people that I can really bless. They mean business with me. Their heart is right with God, they're looking to Jesus Christ, and they're following the precepts of the Word of God. And if it would be today that you're not right with God, 
your eyes are not focused upon Jesus, and you're not following the pathway of the Scripture, would you get that right in your life, and would you begin to do those things? You can come this morning and pray, or after the service today, talk with someone here that can pray with you. Or you can go home today and in the quiet of your own home, come before God and say, God, I need to make things right with you. I don't want to be a hindrance. I don't want to be a problem. I don't want to be like Achan there in the Bible who took of the accursed thing and it affected God's blessing upon the whole nation. I want to be a person that is right with you. So if that's the condition you find in your life today, I hope you'll deal with that and take care of it. Lord, I thank you again for the privilege of sharing with our congregation where we ought to be in relationship to our new beginnings, to the search that we trust will lead to your blessing in bringing our new pastor to us. So, Lord, I pray that the Word of God might be effective in our lives, that you might use it for your honor and praise, and may it cause us to be a congregation not only dedicated to you, but seeking your blessing in all the things that are yet to come. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for what you do, because we do ask all these things in Jesus' name. For his sake we pray. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.